This is a Radio.com original. Oh my gosh, personal responsibility for your own actions? Unheard of in Southern California, oh my God. I can't have that. We need to sue somebody. And speaking of Southern California, you left New York to come out of here to build hot rods. I did. What was your... Not to get political. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's a good thing that we have been having to to pry answers out of you, Steve. You know, you really got to kind of loosen up for the show. This, and this is only with water. <laughs> hey, everybody, and welcome to a new edition of the Talking About Cars podcast, where it's all about everybody has a car story, from celebrities to car personalities and more. I'm Randy Cardoon, and this week we're coming to you from the Pure Vision Workshop in Simi Valley, California, home of Steve Strope and his stable of cars and employees. You may remember Steve as the key player in the Motor Trend Velocity TV show Hand-Built Hot Rods. He was also the guy who built a 1973 Dodge Challenger that golfer Kevin Na won at the Challenge Golf Tournament at the Colonial Course in Fort Worth, Texas, and afterwards gave his caddy, Kenny Harms, the car. Remember, I talked with Kenny about that whole experience in my Talking About Cars podcast number 146. Well, joining me once again, my podcast pal hot rod bob beck from the great american auto scene or gas g-a-a-s all right steve let's start off with the car that first made you realize you're a car guy or a car kid i've got a multi-stage answer to that question because each one of the vehicles i'm going to mention have different parts of the foundation part is just my interest in cars alone and then other parts are going into the modified cool you know muscle car hot rod thing so um i remember being very young back in a time when it was cool to be young <laughs> and there weren't all the dumb rules and you put have to put your kid in a bubble to protect them against everything i used to ride home from church Every now and then, on my dad's lap in his 65 Mustang coupe, and he would shift and I would steer. And I was not 12, I was probably like eight because I couldn't reach pedals if I had to. I was on his lap. And I'm sure, well, you know what? I'm not sure. I don't think anybody out there listening, any of the guys who would bother me listening to a program like this, they're all from the same era and time when. People were people and men were men in this country was normal. Not to get political, because I'm not really a political guy. I just can't stand the ridiculous babying of everybody. And I'm a large mouth about it and I can't help myself. I think it is really sad that there will be no kids growing up like I did. Now, I know out in the middle of America it still happens to get to ride in the back of a pickup truck, which I did. I'm from a very small farm town in upstate New York. And I mean, one red light. In town, like from where the main road is out there back, there is no gas station. There is no, there's like one mart, you know, it's cool existence. It's fun. So anyway, my dad's Mustang, the aforementioned offending Mustang. (laughs) My dad obviously not caring about me and trying to kill me. Oh, that's horrible. Oh, so anyway, again, thank you to Doug, my dad. Super cool, super cool guy. Second up is remembering the first time, the, the vivid remembrance of going to a car dealership to look for, for my dad looking for a car and a new car. And though nowadays, when I say you're making model, you know, the performance guys will roll their eyes. But at the time, my dad was the coolest guy in the world. I remember the brochures. 
and then going back and actually picking up the car. My got my dad got a like a medium like medium tan. 1978, 79 Cougar XR7. The XR7, you know, had a center console and the aluminum rims and a 351. Mm-hmm. No, it was not a Porsche 911, but it was cool, especially where I was from. That's a cool car. And uh, so I remember going, my dad's cool as can be. This cool, you know, this Cougar, you know. And then, um, but the injection of the uh, VP race fuel into my veins uh, is there are two guilty parties. One is my cousin Donnie uh, down the street from me had a late 70s, like 78, 79, maybe 77 Camaro. And uh, during eight months of the year, it was your black Camaro with snow tires on it. But in the summer, he had hijacker air shocks, NDSS profile tires, of course, Cragger SS, side pipes and the car was a small block with a four speed it was a stick car and that thing i would literally just stand there in the driveway and stare at it in my uncle's driveway and just look at this thing because it was just cool it was street machine you know jacked up in the back big ndss profiles Mm -hmm. and then there was a uh i went to a very small little private school all the way up to 10th grade um and once at that little school so small, it's called Ross Corners Christian Academy, small little school. So the literal 12 kids that were in eighth grade that graduated next year were the 12 kids in ninth grade. And I was in sixth grade at the time, and I still have what I'm about to describe, a drawing I did for art class. I have it, and I framed it because I wanted to keep it. Uh, there was a senior big kid named Jim, and he had a triple black four-speed uh, aluminum slot roadrunner, big black stick car. And, uh, remember what year it's either a 68 or 69. Cause in the drawings, it's clearly a 68 or nine with the way the fenders and the little hood bulges and everything. And, um, the, where the kids would park, the kids that were old enough to park had cars over there and the bus picked you up over there. And I would almost miss the bus because I would stay there after school and wait to hear him fired up and go through the gears and leave. And I'm like, oh, that's super cool, you know. <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the fifth guy, the, the fifth, oh, there's two more actually. Each, they're all part of it. I was heavy into BMX. I currently own, I don't even want to disclose how many vintage BMX bikes I own, but I have a problem. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, I would ride from that little school to home. On my path home, there was a gentleman named Mike Wright who I refound. And this guy was the only guy in my area who had like street rods that I ever saw. There might have been other people, but not that I know of. And he had a really beautiful 32 Roadster that was on the cover of Rod Action at the time. And he was building a 36 Phaeton, which I have photographs of, which I kept. And I can tell you, from my position of, quote, air quotes, who I am now and what I've accomplished, his stuff at home rivaled anybody's stuff I've ever seen. So he was a major impact on detailing, uh, clean, well, she says my office looks horrible, but (laughs) shelves, organized shelves. He was a machinist for IBM. His name was Mike Wright. And everything he did, like all his brake lines and fuel lines were parallel down the frame rails and and this is back in let's see i'm riding a bike so it's 84 83 
And this guy doesn't have small block Chevy in his street ride. He is a 289 with a Rotomaster turbocharger, everything <laughs> polished. I mean, full on. And wire wheels, true spokes. I mean, beautifully done car. And then the final is like two or three guys right around my immediate area, around my house that raced uh, asphalt and dirt track, you know, street stock, super stock. Uh, um, we had three NASCAR tracks around the area, you know, Shangri-La, Five Mile Point, a um, couple of other places that I would haunt at. So so I'm watching them cut up, you know, early 70s Chevelles and stick welding in old roll bars and you know, gutting them out and ratty little two-barrel small blocks in them. And they had a school bus with a back gutted out of it with wood ramps. They'd drive the car up inside of the school bus, and that was the, that was the transport. So the combination of my dad's Mustang and then the cool Cougar and then my cousin Donnie's Camaro and the senior's Roadrunner, Mike Wright's unbelievable attention to detail and beautiful street rod building, which... I was there hanging out riding my BMX bike, and then I was there hanging out with my blown El Camino years later. You know, I was always going to Mike Wright's house for inspiration and guidance, and then hanging around race people that, well, that explains a lot to do with me. So um, that, is your, that is your building block of my car problem. <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that would be your cornerstone of, of why we're here in my office. Car problem. We don't have that, do we? Oh, no. Well, not to the extent he does. No. With, not with the intelligence and the ability to do what he does with cars. He's making a better living at it than we are. Yeah, well, that's, that's another true. story. So, so you say. Um, so, so you sprinkle that with hanging out at Watkins Glen, uh-huh. English Town, there you go. Unadilla for, for motocross, Pocono for open wheel, Maple Grove also. So I... And you can see in my builds, I have eclectic mixes. I speak as much sports car as I do muscle car. And I enjoy multiple different various forms of racing. Uh, I've made mention on my show that, you know, I make this thing where some guys are just into Chevys and then they're just into Camaros. And I'm into everything and anything. If If it's cool, then it's cool. And I don't care if it's an Aston Martin. I don't care if it's an Acura NSX. I don't care if it's a 250 GTO Ferrari or if it's a, you know, Baldwin Motion Camaro or if it's something hand-built by, you know, amazingly talented people like Jesse Greening or Ring Brothers or, you know, those cats. It all has a place and we're all stuck in this together. And when, you know, if there's ever something that comes against us, like the government or other things, we all come together because we're all protecting our interest in, you know, doing this kind of a thing, and it doesn't matter if he's a front-wheel drive Honda or if he's a rear-wheel drive funny car. It don't matter. We're all, we're all you know, waving the same flag at that point. Well, along those lines, we just had this situation with Kevin Hart's car, and now the state's looking oh, at... You're going to get me started oh, on that. It's all right. It's all right, because you know, they're, they're, now they're looking at possibly retroactively having us put safety devices similar to new cars in old cars. So let's hit a chord with you. Yeah. <laughs> well, before, you know, because there's people out there with various trains of thought. Mm-hmm. And I, I can understand some different views. But before we go into moving forward with what laws should or shouldn't be passed, I, I really hope everybody from either side of the table can get a grip for a minute and actually go to reality, and it's called 
taking responsibility for your own blank, 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 beep, beep, beep actions. You know what? You order a car with a big stinking motor and that's what the professional builder builds you. That's what you took home. And when you let a friend go drive it and you know you're going to go drive like a lunatic, come on, people, we know what they're doing. And, and don't tell me they weren't. Yeah, they were. We all know what they were doing. And Kevin, please feel free to call me and give me the excuse of why you guys got in the car. You went because it was a really cool, go fast, zoom, zoom car. And your friend wanted to experience the joy of putting the freaking right foot down. And did you mean to go maybe that crazy? Probably not. I'm sure you didn't want your friend to go that crazy. Did the car have more talent than the driver? Clearly. But did, was that intended? Oh, heck, it was intended. Was the crazy high-speed wreck intended? Of course not. Going out for a Joe ride? Yeah, that's exactly what they did. So let's go to responsibility. And I'll call it out, and all three of them can call me. The girl in the back seat. If you're over mm, 12 years old, you are an adult. You know this is a high-performance car because I guarantee you've been overhearing talk all day long. Oh, it's got six or 700 horsepower. It's super fast. Carbon fiber. Nita. It's very clear. It's a very fast car. It's very clear everybody wants to go for a joyride. You are an adult with a brain. You climb into a car. You stick your head in the back seat, and you see there is no seat. Not just no seat belts. No place to sit. Hello, you are an adult. You go, I'm sorry. I can't sit back here. There's no seat. You don't sue somebody because you're dumb enough to get in the back of a car that has no seat, let alone no seatbelt. Completely your fault unless somebody had a gun to your head and forced you to sit back there, take responsibility for your own actions. And lawyers, feel free to call me also. This is a disgusting, disgusting development of nobody taking responsibility at all. And the one guy, unfortunately, having a lot of money. Because if this was playground rules and you got hurt, it was your own fault for getting on the slide, you dummy. This isn't obviously the first time an accident like this has happened. No. The only reason this it's is getting hard. And to be honest with you, probably because I live in this building, I have no idea who he is. I have no idea who Kevin Hart is. Sorry, Kevin. I don't. I've never heard of your name before. So I could care less. So we got that. Now we got his friend who's the driver. Um, how dare you sue the owner? You got in that car and knew exactly what you wanted to do. You wanted to go vroom vroom. Am I accusing you of wanting to wreck? Of course not. I know you didn't intend that. Take responsibility. What you should be doing is apologizing for wrecking somebody else's six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollar car, you jerk. Not suing him because you're an idiot and you're an adult too. Shouldn't have gotten the car if you were worried about high horsepower. In fact, you weren't worried about it at all. You wanted to be in there. You probably asked for it. And if he offered, you jumped at it. So you shouldn't be suing anybody either. My feelings on Kevin suing, um, what's her name, Speedcore, is I, I have no idea of this, I'm guessing, but I guarantee you he's got a contract saying they're not paying him if he gets injured going out and doing something dumb. So unless he sues somebody, he is showing guilt. You know what I'm saying here? Mm -hmm. So I guarantee you, whether he wants blood money from Speedcore for not building him a safe car or not, I bet you there's a lot of reasonings why he almost has to sue to cover his own butt or he's not going to get paid anymore. Mm -hmm. So what's the moral here? Um, everybody's greedy. 
Nobody is taking responsibility. And I don't think, of course, you know, someone listening to this, I don't know who would be listening to this who's not into cars. Why would they be here to this particular right. broadcast? Yeah. But if you are the one person who happened to randomly come across this and you are on the side of the victims, um, you know what? Speedcore did nothing wrong, and it has nothing to do with me owning a like-minded shop. They were hired to build a vehicle, and they built it per the request of the customer. If the customer wants a roll bar and airbags and all that stuff, and they got paid to do it, then that's when you do it. You don't force the customer to spend that kind of money. That's wrong and probably illegal. You're not allowed to do that. Let alone if they tried to do it. Let me give you a scenario. Let's say I'm proactive. Okay. And I start building my cars that way. And something happens. Like the airbag misfunctions. And it breaks somebody's nose. Well, you shouldn't have done that in the first place. There's no testing of those airbags. They belong in that vehicle. And Ford or whoever, or GM, if I borrow airbags from somebody, their lawyers are going to lawyer up and go, those airbags were only made to fit in a year model, blah, 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 through 2000, blah, 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 and work with a highly sophisticated computer and did it and you had no right to put, yeah. So I bet you I'd be damned even if I put airbags in a car because wherever I get the airbags from, every one of their lawyers would be like, oh no. No, no, no. You had no rights to put the, the whole thing. It, honestly, take responsibility for yourself. All three people in that car are adults. And all three got in that car knowing exactly what they were going to go do. They were going at the very least, if you had a lie detector or if I was stuck with all three of them on a desert island and we were never getting off and all there was to do was argue, I'd go, all three of you are full of shit. If you don't tell me you knew you were going on a joy ride, maybe not a psycho pedal to the floor run, but a joy ride. Cause that's what you were going there for. Where were they? Were they in the Canyon somewhere? Oh, right on Mulholland Highway. And I've seen actually the spot where they went off. Why would you be on Mulholland? I don't know. There's been movies, books, TVs about all the sports car running and all the freaking, there was even a Mulholland racer association that was, officially unofficial mm -hmm. so you're gonna look at me kevin hart or the two people in the car and tell me you didn't purposely head towards mahalin to go zoom zoom around some corners and prove that your car is super super cool Bullsh take responsibility speed core did nothing wrong they built a beautiful car and you three idiots as they said, I forget who made the famous statement in NASCAR, but he ran out of talent in turn four. Yeah. Somebody's an idiot, and the car the car isn't the problem, and it goes right back to the gun. The gun on the table doesn't kill anybody. It's the psycho in his hands. Uh, I just saw an amazing post going to that that somebody put up, showed a rock and a gun. It goes, Cain killed Abel with a rock. Nobody banned rocks. Yeah. Don't see anybody screaming about rocks back then. It's the evil or the stupid or the person manning the rock or the gun or the car. Mm -hmm. And to say speed core or, or to say the government needs to step in to save us from ourselves, um, let's snap our fingers and say now some way we're going to be allowed, there's going to be some airbag manufacturer that's going to allow us to put in a 68 Barracuda. <laughs> no one's going to stand behind that ever. But let's say that happened. Something else is going to happen. Well, it, as we all know, airbags have their own problems right yes, now in normal cars. Mm -hmm. And it's been known since they came out with airbags. So, 
something else is going to happen and somebody else is going to sue and some other group that has nothing to do with any of this is going to cry foul. It's not going to fix the problem. Just let me build my hot rods and go away. We're, we're building beautifully handcrafted cars that in the most part don't see a ton of miles. Now, some of mine have gone cross-country without incident, I may add. And, and the Speedcore car, I guarantee you could hop in it and drive down the 405 and go to San Diego and go to SeaWorld and wave a fish at Shamu and nobody would care and it'd be fine. The only reason that car is in the news is because one of Kevin Hart's friends drove like an idiot beyond his talent levels and they went over the side of a cliff. And that is well, that. It's not exactly a cliff. Okay. What it was is, but he drove off the road and into a creek, basically. Even better. It's that simple. The, the, the car, no one would be complaining about the car going down a road. It's just the whole thing is a witch hunt. And for people, the other thing is, for any of you listening, that are on the side of the government or think that Kevin Hart or his friends are are the victims in this thing, uh, I suggest you do what I did and start a small business and you won't have extra free time to think such insane, stupid thoughts. You, you'll be too busy running life and running a business and actually doing something important because um, those three people, though I wish no harm on anybody ever to be very clear it is a shame anybody got hurt amazing the girl i guess got tumbled around and didn't even get really damaged yeah. she rolled around funny with no seat or seatbelt yeah. interesting so thus proving what of the airbags would have done how's this why don't you make sure the adults getting in your car smart enough to go there's no seat i'm not going to sit there where's the law on that you can't because why? Because it was a judgment call on their part. Oh my gosh, personal responsibility for your own actions? Unheard of in Southern California. Oh my God, I can't have that. We need to sue somebody. And speaking of Southern California, you left New York to come out of here to build hot rods. I did. What was your, not what? to get political? <laughs> you know, it's a good thing that we have been having to had to pry answers out of yeah, you, Steve. You know, you really got to kind of loosen up for the show. This and this is only with water. <laughs> Why did you leave New York to come out here to build cars? Well, uh, a bunch of happenstance things that happened all at the same time, and I don't know how to tell the short version, but. I've got time. Go oh ahead. Oh, my gosh. No. So one of my best friends who lives in Canada, uh, I met him in 86, 87 at Canfield, Ohio for the Hot Rod Magazine Supernats. And him and another guy, his name is Sean Davis, and another friend named Marco and another friend named Mark, which we remained friends and saw each other every year at the Supernats, um, had called me up. And this was in 94 in the fall and said, hey, let's meet up at, uh, it was, I think, the, oh, it was the uh, Good Guys Nats at Rhinebeck. And uh, so I met him up there. And a couple of months before, he was at the Good Guys show in Indy and met this guy named Jim who owned a place called Motorsports Plus in Riverside, California. And he did mainly billet aluminum street rod componentry. And Sean struck up a conversation with Jim about Jim whittling him a steering wheel to match the Boyd wheels in, uh, that he had on his Pro Street Nova. So when we were at Rhinebeck, he said, hey, man, we got to go in, the, in the, the, uh, the vendor area and find this guy named Jim and talk about my steering wheel. So we found Jim. We wound up, and being in the position I'm in now, I talk with vendors all the time, I work with companies and all that stuff. I can tell you it was very odd that a private vendor invited two 20-year-old guys to go to dinner. For no, I mean, we're not buying big dollar nothing. 
just wound up going to dinner. And at dinner, Jim says, man, I should really be back in SoCal um, whittling parts. I should, you know, I need someone out on the road. And my friend Sean slapped me on the back and said, this is the greatest salesman in the world. (laughs) And through bothering Jim over the phone, the following spring in March, I moved out to Riverside. I sold everything I had, came out, start working for him. And uh, I'll be polite and not say what happened to him with the federal marshals. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, completely through luck of a luck of a luck wound up meeting Gary Daigle and got a job at Daigle's Rod and Truck in Orange and stayed, flew back home, grabbed my El Camino that I built in my uh, a mixture of my dad's barn and my aunt's garage, stopped at the Hot Rod Super Nationals, now moved to Norwalk, Ohio, and there got asked to be featured in Hot Rod Magazine by Jeff Smith. Love Jeff. Yay, greatest editor ever. Um Moved to California at Daigle's, Custom Classic Truck and Custom Rider both featured my Elkie. Uh, fast, that's 95. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to 98, I sold my El Camino and built a 66 Charger called Scully in my shared underground tandem parking garage in um, uh, Studio City. Uh, built it to take it on the power tour. I built it with no budget whatsoever. And I mean I built it in an underground parking garage. And did some exchange work with a guy who painted it rebuilt the engine and the front suspension in the Chevy pickup truck, and he let me do a bunch of other work in his driveway. Um, that car went on to be cover car, Mopar Muscle, top 10 car of the year with Hot Rod Magazine, Daytona Magazine in Japan, and then uh, I, on that first power tour, I met Martin Weinreb, a great, beautiful 72 Challenger, and I said, I got a crazy idea for your car, and we worked on it in his driveway and took it on the power tour in 2001, and that car also became top 10 car of the year with Hot Rod Magazine and featured in a bunch of magazines. So before I ever had a shop, I already had two top 10 cars of the year with Hot Rod, uh, to which I'm very proud because I earned both of those motherfuckers. I mean, no shop, no garage. And, I mean, total scrapping it. Um, Martin had a big thing to do with Challenger X, though. He had amazing work at home, too. Great work ethic and, and good attention to detail. You still have the Charger? Negative. Uh, Scully? Uh, the Charger was bought by Romeo Furio. I wound, he approached me to build a car for him, and he bought Scully the day we Well, what's, what's Scully named after? Um, there's actually a graphic way at the front of the car. I wanted this pinstripe made of bone red bone, and at the head there was a, a little skull with wraparound sunglasses, and the side of the sunglasses were red, became the red down the stripe. And that has a cool story. I, my friend Matt Willoughby in Ohio I told me, draw me this. And he sent it to where I was working at the time, and it faxed. And I go, perfect. Then he did another drawing, a big drawing I gave to Hot Rod. And I go, that's not the same skull. And he goes, yeah, it is. And I go, well, when you come out to airbrush it on the car, you're going you're gonna to do the version on the fax. What happened is the fax drug, and it drugged the skull like this. So I put the jaw out and the forehead back, and it looked super cool. So that was on the car. But that car went on to Romeo Furio owned it. I went to build a, a duster called Dustia for him. That was... Cover car, centerfold car, top 10 car of the year, uh, diecast car. Reggie Jackson bought it, still owns it. And then we built GTXR, which was the world's first paddle shifted muscle car. At the time I built GTXR, there were no paddle shifted cars except Ferraris only. Nobody else had paddle shifting. It was my first time at SEMA, unveiled it at, at Chrysler's booth in, in, in SEMA. So that was a huge 
and that was a cover car for Mopar Muscle and Hot Rod and blah, 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 blah. So anyway. So only, Scully was about skulls, not like the voice of the Dodgers. No, no. Oh. It was a skull way oh. up in the very front. That's it. Just wanted to clear that up. Yeah, no problem. So uh, Romeo sold it to Hot Rod patron George Poteet, which no. is a huge. George saw it on the first Power Tour and liked it. And then it went on to Bob Johnson, another big bat swinging guy in this industry. And then um, I received a email or a phone call from a communication from an elderly lady in down south. And she told me the story that uh, Bob Johnson had of her sale and they had bought the car, but before that, her husband had a heart attack and basically did nothing. And she said, your car saved my husband's life and my life. Um, and I go, please elaborate on that statement. And she goes, we went to this car thing at Bob Johnson's and my husband saw the Charger and bought it. And since he bought it, he's in the garage every day cleaning it. We joined a car club. We go to car cruises every weekend. He's up and out of the house and up and around. So I sent her um, doubles of the build when I built it, my photographs that I had, mm-hmm. outtake photographs from magazine photo shoots, posters, and also set up a time that I just called the house and surprised him and talked with him. And at last I knew it's in their care, which is really cool. cool. I mean, it went to the two of the best hot rod homes you could ever have, Bob Johnson and George Poteet. Um, but I think it's better in the home it's in now. So uh, that's that's really that's really cool. No, that, is, yeah. that car got a second, third, fourth, and fifth life, you know, with me, and it went on to all these amazing things, and then went to these amazing owners, and now, you know, basically helped to reconstruct the way a guy looks at life. That's a that's kind of humbling, actually. What was your first car? My first car was purchased from another cousin. It was a 73 Oldsmobile Cutlass that I immediately, uh, it was white, so I whited out the bumpers, did the AMG monochrome thing, mm-hmm. and uh, shaved the bumper, the bumperettes off the front of it, and I sold that and got a 73 Carmen Ghia that was set up for SCCA racing. Lowered, slammed, no bumpers. Uh, it was an 1800 long block out of a bus, dual port heads, Diolotto carbs, uh, fast first to second shift kit in the transmission, Yokohama shaved race tires, Enki race wheels, roll bar in it. Uh, the vets would beat me down the straight, but I kicked their ass in every corner. Um, that thing was a roller skate, really was. And then I sold that and got my aforementioned El Camino, the 67 El Camino that I transformed a couple of times into the final version that everyone saw in the magazines. And then I owned Scully. And then some other cars uh, since then. What's in your garage right now? Uh, there is a my my big Dodge Ram. Shout out to Dodge. I've owned six of those trucks. So I've got a big three-quarter ton uh, long bed. It's like an aircraft carrier. Uh, that's my daily. I have a, I love my uh, Vadenplas. I have a 2005 Jaguar Vadenplas, which is the long rear door. So it's like a limo, and it's black on black with a 19-inch Jaguar five spokes on it. Total Q ship. You guys, you older cats will know what Q ship means. Um, the younger ones, just look it up. Um, <laughs> read a book. Anyway. 
Uh, I have my 64 Olds F85 that was featured on one of the episodes of my show. Mm -hmm. I have a 67 Skylark that is in bare metal right now. The front wheels are pushed forward five inches and it's got a blown injected Zoomy piped Hemi in it. It's done like a late 60s funny car. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, it's a son of a bitch is what it is. Um, is that the official name uh, when you send it to shows? Moving Violation is the nickname. Oh, wow. Because it will be. Because <laughs> there's no secondary exhaust system. It's full zoomies Ooh. and slicks. That's nice. Yeah, well, if you're going to do it, don't be a wuss ball. Just do it. Get yeah. the, just get the tickets and be okay. a man about it. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, sitting outside, I am now the new curator um, of a beautiful little 1931 Model A pickup. One of my favorite little hot rods ever. I used to build so many model kits of the little Model A pickups. Um, happenstance overhearing a conversation. And it's funny because they're like, well, who do, when I walked in, they're like, who do we know loves Model A pickups? I'm like, me, you idiot. <laughs> and it was literally here in Simi. Um, a gentleman was helping uh, the daughter sell the vehicle. The owner had passed away. He was ex military, naval officer, and a machinist, which means he's detailed and oriented and takes care of his stuff. I do not know exactly how long he owned it, but I have paperwork of his going back 44 years. Wow. He's owned it longer than that, but I have factual ownership 44 years. His daughter sold it to me. I said, I have one child, I have a daughter. That means this truck will stay with me and she'll have to sell it like you did. I will never unload the vehicle. It, it, it nice will, truck. We it saw it as we walked in. Yeah. I will be changing it. Of course. But with much respect. He looked so sinister when he said that. Did you notice? Yeah. So, not, not horribly. You know? <laughs> it's a, it looks like a very traditional car and it right will, now. And that it shall stay. It is uh, like a dark hunter green right yeah. now. Um, I love Model A's in either yellow or orange. Uh, so it is going to go hugger orange. Uh, it right now has a little like mid 70s VET 350 with a LaSalle three speed. Mm -hmm. I am going to be putting a little warmed over 327 VET motor that I have with a Muncie four speed. So staying in the range, uh, I'll have dual quads or a tunnel ram, but pretty straightforward. Um, the steelies and center caps and trim rings make for a great traditional, but I will have polished real wheels, 20 to one, which still, it's just more the 60s drag inspired mm -hmm. hot rod than the uh, early 60s or late 50s style. So I'm still staying, it's got a, I'm sorry, it's got a quick change in it with the with 40 bells on it and the Model A spring, I'm gonna keep that. So it'll still stay way in the vein that it is. It, you know, different color and a little more hot, drivetrain but it's it's still going to be what it's going to be and it will be loved and cared for it and driven we'll we'll, we'll drive the wheels off of it and it, I, it, they will say full respect for the uh the gentleman who owned it for such a long time i fought and fought and fought with the dmv to keep the plates on it that belong on it and i have the plates 7z 101 that have been on it since i think the dawn of time um Actually, in 2021, we're going to throw a 90th birthday party for it. <laughs> yeah. that, isn't that amazing that that thing's sitting out there? And I've inspected it. That's Henry Ford metal. Oh, it's not okay. Brookville. It's not Repop stuff. It's been wonderfully cared for. And that tradition will stay uh, here with, too. It'll be well, well cared for. All the cars you've ever had, if you, wanted to, if you were able to get one back, would it be the uh, Charger or what would it be? Oh, wow. Because each one of them are a different stepping stone for me. I, that's hard. You know what? 
though Scully was a huge impact to me and I drove it cross country a couple of times, the most <laughs> fun and just nonsense I had with a car was with my Carmen Ghia. I mean, I'm in upstate New York driving to college on race slicks in winter. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, you paint yeah. that picture in yeah. your head? I, yeah, I've tried it. I, I had, no here. <laughs> I not that far, but yeah, I had a, uh, I put Indy, uh, when they had slight tread in the tires, yeah. I had a set of those on the back of a 64 Tempest, and it was raining one day, and I was trying to get up the freeway on a ramp, yeah. and I got about halfway up and started yeah. going backwards. Yeah, yeah I used to... Uh, Fool around in parking lots and go underneath tractor trailer trailers. Mm-hmm. And um, we have, a, there's a mall near my town called the Oakdale Mall. And uh, the Oakdale Mall had terrific elevation changes. If you know where I'm going. Uh-huh. I mean, you go up this one side and there's a long straight down the back. I mean, right. it's like the Oakdale Mall GP. Yeah. It's freaking awesome. I'd be there like three in the morning just meh until the cops came just flying around that thing because with the Gia, the great fun of little sports cars with small motors is they'll give you the experience of going 200 miles an hour going 75, mm-hmm. you know, and traction is traction and, and holding it and keeping the line is holding it and keeping the line. And also the challenge of, and you're at night, so you just got the, I mean, the mall's got lights outside, but still, it's not like daytime. And you're learning where the dip is when you come off that, it's not really a chicane, but I call it a chicane. (laughs) You come over the chicane over by, you know, over by Bradley's and older people again, know Bradley's, uh, at least East Coast, you know, down off of Bradley's and down off the backside. And I would literally be just talking to myself going, coming down the back of Bradley's, you know, being my own Howard Cosell, <laughs> grabbing gears. And so I had, and then, uh, like I said, only a couple miles down the street is Pennsylvania, I mean, Pennsylvania yeah. from my house. And I'm in the back roads there just driving like a hoon again, you know? Yeah. And so I had so much fun with that car. Just way more fun than I ever should have, you know. So if I could snap my fingers and poof, something landed here in the uh, parking lot, I, I would I would have that Carmen Ghia in a second. Because what, and it would be that one. I remember how it smells. Mm-hmm. I remember the interior. I remember the exhaust. I, I, remember, I remember everything about it, you know. And that car was such a bonding sessions. That was bonding sessions. When I was out bombing around the back roads, or at the Oakdale Mall Grand Prix, yeah. or 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 sliding sideways under a truck trailer, or whatever nonsense I was doing, Cooper um, Roadster commercial, uh, uh, coop, little coop. But uh, that that thing was just Sounds like you were your own '70s detective show. I mean, uh, Chase oh, yeah. Rockford's baby, <laughs> freaking pulling Rockford's, not damn yeah. <laughs> That's what God invented e brakes for. But they, well, and I think uh, um, Jim, uh, Jim, who is it? Not Jim, Jim Burton. What's it? What's it? Gardner James did all his own stunts. Yeah, uh, and also raced off road quite quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, yeah, I uh, that was that that would be it, uh, just because. I had way too much fun in that car and just had a ball. And you could just work on it, literally, unbolt the motor, drop it off the bottom, you know. Throw it. Oh, my gosh. It was just perfect. What a perfect first hot rod, if, even if that sounds sacrilegious because it's a Volkswagen. I mean, you know, Mr. Peterson, uh, loosely quoting, hot rod is vehicle owned by somebody and modified for better performance and looks. And 
hell, if I didn't have a hot rod at Carmen Ghia, I mean, I was way faster and did way more than a stock one ever dreamed of doing. Yeah, it doesn't so, matter what the origin of the car is. A hot rod's a hot rod. Yeah, it's like not, yeah. the, the, the idea, the process is the same. It is. And it was a great car to learn on because it was very simple. Volkswagens are fantastic. You want your kids to learn to wrench on something. If you can't get your hands on a on an earlier mid '60s GM car, I'm sorry, they're easier than Ford and Chrysler. So just more straightforward, and the parts are easier to grab. Yeah. Uh, go get a Volkswagen Bug. Ho ho! Build a dune buggy. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, I'm thinking of. Really? Oh, I've uh, at the last three Meekums I was at, there were there was two Manx, yeah. and then just a couple of cool dune buggies. And I'm like, oh my god, I need one of those. I need a dune buggy. Steve Strope of Pure Vision with part one of our two part interview. Part two will be next Thursday morning. We upload it really early, and you can check it out. And after, you could listen anytime, anywhere. Hey, don't forget to please subscribe to all of our new podcasts on the Radio.com app, KNX1070.com, or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, subscribe to us, rate us five stars if you're on iTunes, and please write a review. And if you want to sponsor an episode or seven of Talking About Cars, we're always open to that idea. Reach us at TalkingAboutCars at gmail.com. Our website is TalkingAboutCars.net, where I include some extra behind-the-scenes flavor to the interviews. And make sure you follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And don't forget to check out Bob on his daily morning gas show at 11 a.m. Pacific time on Facebook. Just go to his Bob Beck page and, of course, his uh, gas podcast. That comes up every second Tuesday also on Facebook and GotGas.com. Until next time, I'm Randy Cardoon. Join me as we have some more fun with Steve Strope talking about cars.